Here we go with the podcast. It is on the air. It's really not on the air. It's a podcast, and it's Vandermeer's View. And so far, we've had a lot of fun talking about football, talking about broadcasting, talking about things basically that are interesting to me. And we'll take you along for the ride. And hopefully this is interesting to you as well. John Harris joins me today. Johnny, we'll talk about stories from the broadcast booth. And in this case, we'll include the sideline because that's where you live. That is. You know, it's funny that when I walked in your office and we were kind of talking about this, I had just had this idea today because I took a couple of photos out of my office. Mm -hmm. In fact, our buddy Greg Condritz put this one in my office. Around our office, to give you a look behind the curtain, we have a bunch of framed photos of the team and team shots, action shots that are all over our office. Throughout history. Right. And so there was one that was over by Greg's office of Andre Howe with a pick six against mm-hmm. Jacksonville yep. in 15. Yep. And whoever took the shot just happened to be at the right angle where Andre's about to score and he's starting to kind of high step and celebrate. And I'm right behind him celebrating. Yep. And I mean, I'm clear. I mean, I'm not in focus, but it's, you know, it's me. And so that photo had been outside Greg's office. And so we're kind of recycling the photos and moving some things around and it just ended up in my office. So I was taking that home and had it in my car. And as I was driving with it, driving home, because I'm kind of moving (laughs) some things around in my home. I'm going to put it up in my house, and so I gotta, I'm got moving my office, and so I'm like, I'm going to put this up in my house, and it got me thinking, man, one day I'll be able to tell, you know, tell the story of, yeah. you know, I want to be able to tell the story of, you know, Andre Howe and obviously what he's going through, but tell the story of that photo and just getting excited on the sidelines, and I was like, man, it'd be cool to do like a story from the sidelines. You show up in a lot of these, though. I don't know how. Well, I, the, I, the I most just, famous or infamous or whatever is the one where DeAndre Hopkins catches the touchdown also in 2015 against Cincinnati. Yeah. So this yeah. is like a couple of weeks later or whatever. Yeah. And there you are in your uh, you're all bundled up. It was it was Monday not night football. It was cold. It was if you remember that night there was a threat of rain. I and that's the one thing that I do now is look at the forecast all the time. Yeah, you're you guys, on the sideline. Yeah. You've you've got to watch out for the elements. I watch out for it and so I was pretty I by game time I thought okay, maybe we've escaped this. Mhm. But maybe and there was a little bit of misting at times. So yeah. anyhow, and the funny part about that play, and it was Monday night against Cincinnati, and it was six to three, and TJ had come in the game. And do you? I, I don't know if you remember this. The very first pass that he made on it that was drive. in the dirt to Ryan oh, Griffin. It was like eight feet. It was a throw of a, all of about eight yards, yep. and he threw it about ten feet short of him. I think that was the third quarter. Still, right? It was right because the they're of going the, third the other way. Right, and then it flipped to the fourth quarter later on, and so he ends up making some great throws. And so on that on the touchdown throw to DeAndre, I just remember looking. I remember Bill O'Brien. His words were in my head. He's like, "When we get post safety coverage." Mm-hmm we've got to look outside. And I just remember him saying that. And so I looked out there, and I saw Reggie Nelson in the middle of the field, and I saw Pac-Man on DeAndre. And so DeAndre runs by me, and I just I could, I could just tell. And so I just screamed out, DeAndre, go get it. Like I knew it was coming to him. Yeah. And so then now I'm watching now I'm watching the play, and that's the shot. It's from that. It's from the end zone back mm-hmm. through DeAndre to me on the other side. And so he makes the catch, and so I can see it perfectly. And one of the things that people didn't really talk about on that was, from my angle, I could see it. DeAndre, when he came down, his foot, his right foot was tucked behind his left foot. And so he only had one foot down, and literally he's falling. 
he pulls that right foot out and just taps it down. That's the incredible thing that he's able amazing. to do that. He does that so many times, like oh, the catch against Pittsburgh. It was so amazing to see him do that, but his foot literally was caught. Right. And then he pulled it out, and I saw all that clear as day. And then, you're in the background. And I'm in the background of that shot from the end zone. So then, which is, I mean, I look like um, seen a, I've seen a ghost or something, but I'm right there, and I have the shot on my phone. So after that, I, of course, go down near the end zone. Like, I'm, you know, pumped up. Like, yeah. Well, on Monday night games, the the can- they have those rolling cameras. Most of the time for a home game, you know, I deal with it on the home sideline right. because it's on our sideline. But for a Monday night game, they have two of them. And so they have one that roams on the home side, and then they've got one that gives a different angle on the on the visitor's side. Well, Cincinnati Stadium kind of in that corner kind of kind of turns, kind of angles or, or arcs in, so it kind of closes you in a little bit more. So that thing was down there. So as I made my way down there, what I didn't realize was as the players were celebrating and they were kind of moving that way, I was kind of moving that way that that thing had kind of pinned me in like I couldn't like get out of the way. And before I knew it, the whole throng of players, they're all right right on me. I mean, DeAndre was like from me to my computer away from me, like two feet away from me. And after the game, I was in the locker room and I saw Dwayne. And Dwayne looked up at me and got that smile on his face. He goes, I saw you. And I was like, <laughs> I was like oh, man, I'm sorry about that. He goes, no, man. He goes, I thought it was cool. But I literally got pinned by that camera because I couldn't go anywhere. Right. And once I got in there and they were celebrating, it was like we kind of converged and I couldn't go anywhere. And I was like, oh, screw it. I'm so just going to celebrate with them. This kind of turned into a meme of sorts. It did. Not a meme, really. Yes. But, but who was the Twitter follower? It was Rot. Took- all right, Rot, Rot took your image. He took my image and he put me everywhere. He put your expression because Johnny all bundled up with the ski hat on and everything, headphones on, <laughs> microphone, everywhere. with that look on his face. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. And he puts you in front of various historical events. I think the Berlin Wall coming down yeah. was one of them. He put and- me by the Sphinx. Uh, I mean, <laughs> he, put me, he put me everywhere. He put me... Uh, uh, courtside for Steph Curry three. Oh, it never gets old. I, I could like, I could look at that stuff. It's like it's like the oh, good man. days of crying Jordan. You know, uh, it, it took yeah. a while for crying Jordan to get old. It finally did. I know, and thank God it did. And it's kind of it's kind of moved on. But every, but, well, now now the the one du jour is LeBron with the yeah, of course. you know <laughs> it was a tie game. Which what are you doing? So perfect. The I mean, outstretched arms. That's, well, you know the the whole thing with the. The Pusha T Drake diss mm-hmm. track and all that. Right. <laughs> one of the one that where they put where, where they had LeBron and they put a baby in his arms and they made J.R. Smith oh, yeah. Drake. I saw that. <laughs> I about fell off the couch. I'm that like, is man, so good. how they do it. But you know, it's funny because we've told that story. I'm sure before. I know I have about you know that game in Cincinnati. But there are so many things that happen down on the sidelines or in the booth mm-hmm. that you don't. You you never you never know, you know what's happened, but it's just us that we have those stories, and I think it's I think it's really cool to kind of share some of those. And you, I mean, heck, you've been around, you've done, you've done games in how many different places, and of course, the one I always ask you about is is two thousand in Miami and Florida State mm. uh, that game because I think that to me, if I did an ultimate eleven college football games that I would want to watch again before I died, that would be one of them. That was that was a hell of a game. And the Orange Bowl, by the way, that broadcast booth, I I had so much reverence for being in that place. Yeah. Because, you know, I got that job in ninety nine and they had a preseason scrimmage and I remember that was the first time I was in the Orange Bowl of 
any kind. I've never mm-hmm. been to the Orange Bowl at all. So I go into the Orange Bowl booth, and I just sit down. And we weren't broadcasting. We were just kind of doing, you know, filing reports on, yeah, yeah. on the air or whatever. It wasn't a live play-by-play, but it was a scrimmage. So I'm looking in the end zone, the open end zone, which is to our right, you know, the open end of the stadium. Yep. You see the palm trees and everything and just the familiar sight you see in NFL films yeah. and Hurricanes games and all of it. You know, Super Bowls played there, Namath. And the history of the building, I mean, the hair was standing up on the back of my neck. I thought, this is an incredible place. Now, it's a dump at the time, believe me, but it's a wonderful dump. And that's why when when you and I go to places like the Coliseum, you know, it's a dump, but there's a lot of history there. The Orange Bowl was a dump late in its life, but it was still, for a big game, the greatest place on earth. For a big game like Florida State-Miami 2000, wide right three, I was so honored to call that game. Now... You know me. I dress up in the booth. You know, yeah. I don't, like, go black tie, but I wear a tie. Right, right. I wear a tie to the broadcast booth because I have respect for the booth, and that's just how I handle it. Yeah. I, not that I think guys are disrespectful who don't do it. That's just the way I like to handle yeah. it. I wear a tie. I wear a jacket. That's how I broadcast. Basketball, football, whatever. That's how I always do it. So my first game of the Orange Bowl was actually Florida A&M against the Hurricanes in 99, and I wear a jacket and tie. Yeah. And those guys are like – you're crazy. Yeah. Joe Zagaki, Don Bailey, you know, those those guys still do the games down there. Joe was the color guy, and Don was on the sideline at the time, dear friends of mine. They're like, you're crazy. I'm like, no, this is how I roll. Yeah. Well, by the end of the first quarter, I was practically undressed. <laughs> I mean, it's there's just something. Because it's late August or early September you're outside in Miami. In Miami oh. It's not going to work. Like, that was that's the one booth on planet Earth where I will actually wear a polo and, yeah. you know, I don't know if I was wearing shorts. Maybe I would because it's so hot in there. Like there's an air, there was an air conditioner in there, but it didn't work. Yeah. And the the booth at the Orange Bowl, when you get go out of the booth to like just go down the hallway, it's like a submarine. Like two people cannot even pass without backing up against the wall and squeaking by each other. If somebody's heavy set, you're in big trouble. Oh wow! If somebody's an attractive, never mind. Uh, you, but you definitely are in a tight situation yeah. down there. And it was just an incredible place to broadcast. Great view. I loved it there so much. And to call some, you know, really historic Miami games there for me was a huge thrill. Yeah, the the 2000 game to me, that 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 one against Florida State because I think if there was anything that signaled Miami's return, it was going to be it was going to be that one. Right. And I the one thing I one of the first things I asked you, we you know, got to got to know each other. Well, you guys call wide right three, which is for for those people that don't follow college football. Why, the words wide right, as soon as you mention them, everybody knows you're talking Miami, Florida State. Right. As great as that rivalry is for all the players that have come out of there, as soon as you say wide right, all of a sudden it is. Oh, you know exactly what it is. And it started they, they, those in ninety one. Live on. I mean. Oh. And you had one in 2000. That game ended up being a wide right game. And you know what? I knew it. Like, this is another story from the booth. So, as Florida State is driving down, because Miami took the lead on Dorsey to Shockey. Yep. Chris Wenke has the ball one more time. And we're thinking, oh, my gosh, here we go. And he sets him up for a long field goal attempt. And I'm thinking, if this goes wide right, i got to be able to call it wide right. Right. I mean, i got to call it. And you know how – Because that is so iconic to that rivalry. And for those who don't know, when we're doing any kind of football – all right, so we're doing Texans games. I cannot, and this is a play-by-play thing, you cannot tell if it's wide right, left, or down the middle mm-hmm. if you are calling a game from the booth 
sideline. You just can't tell. It's right. very, it's extremely difficult. You have. I learned early on in my career. You wait for the men in stripes to put their arms up to to say it's good. You just wait. Right. Or if the crowd's going nuts, you have a feeling, but I still wait. Right. Because what if it's like over the upright and some people are cheering and some people aren't, or you're on the road and they're right. cheering because you missed it, or they think you missed it, but right. you didn't really miss it. I wait for the guys to tell me the guys who matter, the guys who call the play. Now, you are in the end zone, right? Right. Very often. Not all the time, not every field goal, but right. a lot of field goals when it's an obvious situation, you know they're setting up for it, you'll get down there. And you can tell me too. Right. But I still kind of wait for the guy. Right. You know, like uh, Randy Bullock against uh, well, you know, Cincinnati. It's Christmas Eve <laughs> you, 2016. You were waiting for me, and I was already out on the field celebrating. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I was like, Johnny didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. <laughs> you ran onto the field. In that, in, it's another Johnny moment. In that, in that game – in that game, the Christmas Eve game of 2016, and this is a story from the sidelines now. So the Bengals move down. Rex Burkhead has made a number of catches, and it comes down to Randy Bullock. I think we all know that. And Randy misses the kick. But as I'm walking down there, we're in, and we're in a break, we're in a timeout, and we're t- and the three of us are all talking. And that's that's one other thing is during breaks, we can all the three of us can all talk to each other. And that's of course, the greatest Robert show Jones, on earth, right there. It's, it's the fantastic. greatest show on earth that nobody hears it's, is it's, what we say during commercials. I mean, we could we could probably make a killing with having people char- charging people for it. So, anyways, we're talking about this, and we're like, it's coming down the Randy Bullock to beat us, to keep us out. <laughs> of it. We're we're losing it. So, as we're getting we're getting down there, there and I I move down in the end zone, knowing that this thing is coming down to it, and and, and it hits me. It's Christmas Eve. He's going to ruin Christmas. A former Texan. I can't, I can't do this. Now, normally what I do is I stand pretty much right by the goalpost or in between the upright and the goalpost. I couldn't bring myself to do it because I did not want to watch that ball go over my head and going through. I just couldn't oh. do it. So I stood outside the upright. I stood outside. Maybe you should the do that every time. I know. Maybe I, I should. think you pulled the ball over there toward your gravitational I, I, pull. All of a sudden, I see that ball kicked over my head, and I just there was like equal parts froze. My mouth didn't say anything, mm-hmm. and I I knew he missed it, and I just took off running. I took off running, and the first person I ended up seeing was DeAndre because he had been put out there for the block. Oh yeah, he went out there for the block, and that. I think kind of threw them off because at that time in 2016, you could still oh, yeah. hop over the, the center. Right. And so I think Bullock, if you remember, Didn't he, they hesitate? he hesitated. And so I think that obviously threw him off. He pushed it to the right, to my left. And see, that's the difficulty for me because I've told you right when it actually is left. I got to right. reverse it. And so I didn't have the time to think this is going left. That's actually wide right. And so I just said nothing. Mm-hmm. I just took off. And you're oh. like, where were you? I was like, uh, I, I, I didn't want to mess you up. That was one I of those nights. I heard run. the crowd start to erupt, but you have a, as a play-by-play guy, you have a split second. I mean, a yeah. microsecond yeah. to wait, and I knew it was no good. And, you know, they were going nuts in that uh, and south end zone. And if it's no zone. good, it's, it's a call that you got to then follow up with. The Texans have won the AFC South, right. so that's going to be one that lives on for a while. Right, and, and you got to be ready for those moments. And I hate – I hate saying anything while you're in your backswing, if you will. Yeah, like I, I hate that. That's like one of my well, biggest pet peeves. I really appreciate that because that, that can And so throw I just said off. nothing, and I went to celebrate with DeAndre, and somebody caught it on video, and you played it for me the next day, and you're like, well, this is what my sideline reporter does at the end of games. Well, the other thing is this. Now when we want – we have a monitor in the – in the booth, right? Yeah. And we monitor. I like monitoring the monitoring the TV feed because it's 
like a couple of seconds late. Yeah. So I could actually call a play and then go look at the feed and see who made the tackle if I didn't get it on the play or you didn't give it to me or whatever the case is. And for those who don't know, Johnny's in queue while I'm doing play-by-play. So Johnny will often give me who made the tackle or who made the interception because, believe it or not, it's like somebody makes a pick – if their shoulder is to you and you can't quite see the number right away, they might have run 20 yards by the time you can identify the player, maybe more. Yeah. So it helps to have that information in queue. I don't use a spotter. I don't like looking down. I'd rather just hear to my head and not never have to take my eyes off the field, if at all possible. So that's how I roll. But back to the field goal thing. So let's go back to wide right three. Florida State lining up for a possible game-winning field goal or time, whatever the case was. Yeah. And... They're lining up, so I go right to the monitor, which in this case was a live monitor. I knew it was actually live, but it's coming from the other end zone. So to your point, if it's going to go right, it's going to go to my left, right? and I just better you know, be aware of that. You know, you can easily screw that up. So I, I called it right. I, I had a nice call. I was very happy with my call. Uh, I said, you know, the trilogy, you know, it's here we go. It's wide right three. Right. I, I put that on the back end of the call. Anyway, there's a local – broadcast that happened on replay uh, of Hurricanes football. They have a play-by-play guy and a color guy. It's all separate crew, you know, and the game airs later that night and maybe one more time during the week. It aired on our regional sports network. And the local announcer, unfortunately for him, said it's wide left because he's looking at the monitor and it was to his left, but it's really a wide right shot. So I felt awful for him. He's actually a really good announcer otherwise, but that was just one of those moments. I feel bad when announcers blow things because – Look, we've all done it, yeah. and you just don't – you hate it when you hear those things, those those kinds of, of mistakes. I think my favorite story I heard was there was an announcer in the 50s. I, I, I want to say his name was Harry – I think it was Harry Wismer, I think. Um, but anyhow, he <laughs> – this was before – this was in the 40s and 50s. Television was still not in vogue. Mm-hmm. But he would call it and he would say, and Johnson with the interception. It really would have been Smith. Right. He's like, Johnson with the interception, and he's to the 40, to the 30. He laterals to Smith. Smith's going to score. <laughs> he like, laterals. He, he oh, would, no. That's... He would make up oh, some action. That's that's tough. <laughs> you know, no one would know. This, all right, here's a trick, though. And I've done this, and people have probably heard me do this, or you will hear me do this if I have to do it, which is the most important thing is where the ball is more than who has it. Yeah. What the yeah. ball is doing. Right, right. What is happening with the actual apparatus you play the game with? Right. Like – Intercepted, and if you don't have it, and I and I don't know it or whatever, intercepted and taken across the 20, 30, 40, 50, he's going to go all the way. It's Jones to the house. Right. Like, you know, by then you got it. Right. But it's better, like, all right, it's picked off. It's less important who picked it off than the fact that it was intercepted and where it is now and where it's going, you know, in this case to the end zone. Yeah. You're better off waiting to get it right than to say a wrong name. Uh, the, the audience, the listening audience, will forgive you for this. Ideally, you want to say it right away, right. but sometimes you just can't. Well, the one thing I, I learned, to, I've always been of a mindset, I don't even care who, I, I've always been this way. When somebody forces a fumble, that's way more important than who recovers it mm-hmm. until you get into our world. Right. And I remember there was yeah, one game in, in 14 or 15 where somebody had had caused the fumble. Well, what about Clown? Oh, and wait, did I hit. have – all right, so Clown – I'm thinking of Clowny Merciless against the Colts in 2016? May, yeah. Well, that that too. But that one I remember – I think I had Clowny you causing had, it because that was a you big had hit by Clowny. Yeah, yeah. No, you had Clowny because I've, I've heard that one. But it, it, was, it was in – I think it was in 2015, and I, I said to you, 
it was like I think Eddie Pleasant had caused. It. I was like Eddie Pleasant caused the fumble. Like I was telling you, who caused the fumble. Right. And I remember you saying, I, "I don't it. care about that. I care about who who has the ball." Yeah. Which made total sense. I was like, "Oh, okay." To me, the the play is made by the guy who forces the yeah, fumble. Yeah. You as a coach, it's like, but look at that play. Right. But you're but right. In the broadcasting world, it is no, no, no. Where's the ball and who has it? We'll get to the guy who caused it later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which makes which makes perfect sense. As soon as you said, I was like, "Oh, okay, that makes sense." I mean, unless it's like. Here comes J.J. Watt around the edge, and, right. you know, boom, he right. you know, causes the fumble right there and picks it up and runs it right. to the house. That's nice, too. Yeah, that is. I'd like to see a little bit more of, of that yeah, this would, year. That'd be terrific. That would be nice. You know, the other thing is, uh, you know, stories from the booth. And, we, you know, I think we got to do a series of these podcasts because there's just way too many. But, you know, I, I'm so grateful to be in the NFL where you're in excellent broadcast booths for the most part. Sometimes you get a terrible location like, Washington, D.C., yeah. where you are low and in the corner, and it's an awful view. And when they go across the fifty, you're gonna like you're gonna be basically calling yeah. the game. I'll just be relaying what you tell me. <laughs> you know, you're gonna have to tell me the yard line yeah. every time. I mean, just that's how it is there. Yeah. It's an awful booth, and and they admit it. They don't do anything about it, but they admit it. But I go back to like my first days broadcasting high school football. One of my first games, I was actually in a car on a hill. <laughs> calling the game from there into a tape recorder, and we'd air it the next morning, okay? So this is where I came from. Yeah. So I, I really am grateful to be in this situation in the NFL. Yeah, so, so last year, I uh, every so often, probably five, six times a year, I end up doing some of the Southland Conference games. Right. And we – Sam Houston State's got a nice booth, and mm-hmm. HBU's got a booth, and that's okay. So we went to Lamar last year. It was his last game of the year. It was Lamar against McNeese State in Beaumont. And I had not been to Lamar. I just had seen the stadium and thought it was a nice stadium from afar, but that was it. I'd never been there. So when I get there and I ask everybody, you know, how do I get to the how do I get to the booth? And they direct me to the booth and I go in, I'm like, Well, this is kind of a nice it's got a nice setup. This is a booth and there's the athletic director's room and it's kind of a suite. And I said, Hey, um, this is a great booth. Where's the, where's the radio booth? And go, oh, you have to go on the roof. Oh All right. gosh. All right. So I go up to the roof and we literally have a setup. We have a couple of tables. We have a drop we have a drop screen where we can do like our promo, you know, our pregame talk. And so we're all set up and we got the TVs, got you know, everything set up and I'm doing it with Butch Ossendor who I'd never worked with, but great guy. Um, had a, had a blast working with him. And there's about a 35 or 40 mile an hour wind that night. Oh no. And so we're on the roof with no, nothing to stop. We've got papers flying everywhere. I'm talking. That's we couldn't setup? even. We couldn't even. Like I, we had. I had my phone on top of a stack of papers. I had my. I had a, a notebook that was heavy enough that I put it on the other stack of papers. As soon as you reach for something, it, the rest of the papers flew everywhere. Yeah. Butch went to go read a promo, uh-huh. and he went to go reach for it and. Like his whole stack just went flying everywhere. So, so this is this is the TV booth. <laughs> this was the this was the TV booth. It was just not a stadium set up for TV. Well, and this is Lamar. And this they is not Lamar. A, they got to do a better job. And, than I know they yeah. just came back into football but five ten years ago. I was, and, and I mean, they probably could have stuck us somewhere in in that booth. But they just decided. I don't know. It's not a, a place set up for TV. I suppose, but TV. we had papers everywhere. This is supposedly well, it's Division One AA, but you got to do yeah. a better job. Than yeah, that. They, I mean, they I, need to. They need to help you. And out. I was freezing by the end of the night. Right. Oh, my gosh. Oh, speaking of, all right, so freezing, 
college baseball. Oh, you have worst. not known <laughs> the elements as a broadcaster until college baseball, Central Michigan, Western Michigan, which is a huge rivalry up there. So this is like, I don't know, late March, early April oh, in Michigan. There's in a possibility of snow still being oh, in the yeah. ground. Oh, it's Central Michigan, their field at the time. I mean, yeah. I remember one spring there was a huge snow bank in May in the outfield, like beyond the uh, – maybe just beyond the fence. You know, they, <laughs> you hit the snow bank, it's a ground rule double? <laughs> I, I guess so. But I know in, in my mind it's like in the middle of the – it was like Towles Hill in center field, but it's really probably not like that. But so Central Michigan, Western Michigan – at the time, I'm doing these games, and my station doesn't even carry the games. I had to find another station because we didn't want to carry college baseball. Yeah. Big, we had a 100,000-watt blowtorch. I mean, Ooh. I don't even think there was a 100,000-watt station in, I don't in Houston. Think so. But Michigan, you know, you need a big blowtorch like that to get around the state. So I found another little FM to take the games, and I had to engineer the entire thing from whatever, quote, booth I had. So you're basically outside with a little table in the stands, and it was raining – I must have been out there. They were doing quick dry every inning. You know, oh it was gosh. one of those deals. Because you know, and these are seven inning games because oh. they're trying to get double headers in. Uh, this is Northern College baseball. This is what all the coaches up there complain about. This is why the College World Series is later than it's ever been because they just there's such a difference between anything south of the Mason Dixon line, if you will, and anything north. They just can't get the games in up there. Yeah. So they have seven inning double headers, and it's crazy. So there I am, like on a Wednesday, doing this doubleheader. Must have taken like seven hours. I was, I mean, I, I had hypothermia. You know, you're broadcasting. You, you, your voice is vibrating because you're so cold. I mean, I was colder doing that than I was at zero degrees at Soldier Field or yeah. zero degrees close to it at Lambeau Field in 08. Way colder because it's just tougher to control that environment. You get the wind whipping oh, through. It's brutal. You guys had a heater in the booth in Green Bay in 16 when, you, when we went. Uh, uh, well, 16 was, was really easy. That was an easy stretch. That was just snow. That, that was wasn't snow. even that cold that day. It was like 30 or well, something. Well, for you, it wasn't. That was wet snow. I know. It's bad for you. Yeah, it that, was bad for you. It was wet snow. And so by what the end of it. What a beautiful day that was. Oh, it was. I mean, just to see snow on the ground. And that was the first time I'd been at What Lambo. a winnable game that was 7 nothing oh, at the half. I can't even. Oh. Seven, you're down seven. Bill O'Brien, you're down seven nothing. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, he's he knows he's on, you're only down seven. Okay. I mean, Griffin catches that pass it? in the end zone. Griffin catches the fourth down pass in the end zone. Was that seven seven? And then jumps up in the stands, does his own Lambo leap, and it's seven to seven. And then we got the ball back. Remember, we get the ball back yeah. and we're moving, and DeAndre's running the slant, mm-hmm. and Brock throws it behind him, and he can't make the catch. And we end up having to punt. Pinned him at the two. Wait, Brock threw it behind a guy? Yeah. Anyway, go on. And so, Rod, I remember the Packers are at the two-yard line. Yeah. And on first down, Rodgers had nobody to throw to. And he threw the ball way out of bounds. And O'Brien, Bill went to the to the official and said, that's a safety. And what, what happened to Bill in the Super Bowl, the second Patriots-Giants Super Bowl, on the first play of the game, the same thing happened. Brady, they were backed up. Brady threw they – were, they were, he was getting rushed – and all the routes are kind of moving right to left, so they were kind of moving out of that. Well, Brady threw it to the right side. Oh, so he's saying intentional grounding. Should they be called it intentional grounding, and so O'Brien walked over the ref and said, look, that happened in the Super Bowl how many ever years ago. That's a safety. And they talked about it, and they're like, no. Rodgers moved they're him like, out of no, there. No, that's Aaron Rodgers. Can't be a safety. Moved him out of there, and they ended up getting a, uh, oh, got a touchdown on that drive. Oh, what a frustrating and then that's day. And that's when it ended up changing. But it was like that game was so very winnable. 
So winnable. So winnable. But that's another one. Like in 08 when we were there, it was cold, mm-hmm. but not windy and right. not snowing. Andre actually purchased a heater <laughs> somewhere <laughs> and brought it with him to the booth just I, in case. You know, that day was not that bad for I, us. I think that was that's you know, you and I had done a bunch of radio together before we got got started on the air. And it's a different element on the air than it is in obviously this this forum. We a lot more time to kind of expand on things mm-hmm. as opposed to during a game where things are happening one play, next play, next play, what's what what do we need to be looking for, et cetera. And so we the very the very first game that I ever did was a preseason game against the Cardinals. Right. And so oh, I remember you telling me Look, you're in queue. I can hear you the whole time. Well, I didn't know that everybody could hear me. Everybody and so, meaning Andre, right? And Robert Andre Hensley. and Robert, and and so yeah. when Andre's so talking, not on the air, but we could all hear you in our headset. So I'm just chatterboxing with you, like, hey, uh, Watt and Clowney are in the game, and I'm just chatterboxing. So we get to the first break, and you're like, Johnny, you gotta, you gotta cool it. And Andre's like, Oh, that's that's you, and like, Oh man, I screwed this thing all up. Like, Oh man, I really want to impress Andre. Like, I want to. You know, I want to fit in, and, like, here I am. And I'm just uh, like, oh, my God. Because Andre's so, looking at me like, who's talking? Yeah, like, <laughs> who's who talking? is this? And he thought it was Robert, and it was like, no. And uh, I felt so, so bad. Good. So, you know, over the next few weeks, we did preseason games together. And so, you know, starting to kind of kind of feel, feel, my, feel my place and kind of fit in a little bit. And so we get to the first game, and it's against the Redskins in 2014. And this is probably my favorite from the booth story. Oh, no. So, first game I've ever done, I am jacked up. It's Bill O'Brien's first game. It's my first game. It's Liberty White Day. I mean, it's – it's uh, I'm, like, off my mind, like, out of my mind excited. And so, I had felt good because I felt like in the pregame, I just felt good about kind of the way things were going. So, we get to about the – we get to about the third quarter, and the play's going on, and then I just hear silence. And I'm like, well, what's going on? This is weird. Like, why is it silent? And then I kind of can hear some commotion. And now keep in mind, there are a lot of times I, I just I see the game, I can hear you guys, and I'm just envisioning what's happening, but I don't know what's going on. I have no clue. I just start hearing this commotion, and I don't know what's going on. And it's just kind of, you just chat like, this? <laughs> and then all of a sudden I hear this pounding on the table, and I hear this, get me the back on the air. <laughs> 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 and it was at that moment where Andre goes, "Hey, Johnny, uh, we're off the air." <laughs> as if I, as if I hadn't heard what just happened. And so uh, for the next, for the next, probably I don't know, eight to ten minutes, maybe not that long. Probably for the next five to seven minutes, Andre and I are watching the game, right? Literally together, kind of talking about what's going on in the game. Like, oh man, that was. Wow, can you imagine they threw look at RG three man, he just thought he's not showing poise and we're literally just talking and yeah. almost creating a rapport as friends watching. And I'm the losing game, my mind. And you're losing your mind. Get me the I'm blank back on the air. Oh. I mean that was there was a storm <laughs> and this a storm huge hit storm horribly. outside. The roof was closed was obviously, but at the time all the circuitry ran through the Astrodome still that would provide our transmission from the booth to sports radio 610 yeah so the astrodome being occupied by rats and cats and it should be ripped down i'm sorry astrodome historical people but my gosh anyway the astrodome could not contain this rainstorm and uh, this storm th- was that knocked bad. us off the air it's never happened since because all the circuitry has been changed 
So we've taken care of that problem. We have other fail safes now, uh, other fallbacks. But boy, I was upset. Like, don't mess with me. Don't oh. ever take me off the air. There was a Central Michigan basketball game once. I think this is again at Western. And I was doing my post game show, and all of a sudden, <laughs> nothing. And I look, and somebody actually unplugged Press Row. This is huge, you know, huge plug, huge uh-huh. socket and plug for the all the power on Press Row where you do basketball games from. And somebody unplugged it, and I lost my mind because it was at the time I did all my own engineering. Everything was very tough. Basketball's different because, like, uh, at at UMass, my very first UMass game was UMass versus Kentucky to open up the 1995-96 season at oh, the Palace yeah. at Auburn Hills, the Great Eight. Oh. And Kentucky was number one, and UMass I think was number three, and and UMass bumped them off that night. And we're right behind. Not, we weren't always like this in college hoops, but we're right behind Calipari. We're right next to the bench. Yeah. And there's Calipari. It's my first game. Yeah. There's Calipari right in front of me, and I can hear him well. And he's stomping his feet. If you look closely at the 30 for 30, you can see me a little bit. <laughs> I can hear him very well saying stuff to his players. And then turning, I did the games with Jack Lehman, former UMass coach, guy who recruited Rick Patino and Dr. J. And uh, Calipari would turn around and say, Jack, they just don't listen. And Jack's on the air. <laughs> they just don't listen. You know, meanwhile, that, that was, and in 30 for 30, they say, Camby comes over to the bench and says, we got this, coach. We're yeah. fine. Yeah. We got this. And he was right. Cause, yeah. Uh, you know, Jack and his thick Boston act. Camby's the best player on the floor. You know, and that was a Kentucky team that had eight NBA players yeah. on it eventually. Yeah. So, I mean, that was that was just a, such a tremendous thrill. Like, college basketball, uh, the beauty of it is, you know, in ideal situations, you're right there on the floor yeah. doing a game. You know, over the years, announcers have been screwed in radio land. Like, even that year at the Final Four, I was in the fifth row of press row, yeah. you know. Woe is me. But still, you want to be on the floor. They got guys like Mike Lupica and Bob Ryan on the floor. Yeah, and I'm exactly. thinking, why, why do they get to be there? They're yeah. writers. They don't need to see it the way I need to see it. I'm right. calling a game, you know. But uh, they don't see it that way all the time. Uh, but that was, uh, that was a thrilling year. Anyway, that's it for the you – know, we're going to call this part one. Yeah, and I don't know what part not? two is going to be, but we have so many more stories from the booth and from the sideline, Johnny, thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. That was fun. And that concludes the podcast. Check out all the other Vandermeer's views and all the other Texans podcasts, including Deep Slam with D.P. Sidhu and all her fine guests. The one with Kylie Wong, I think, is really outstanding, among others, of course. And in the lab with Johnny and Drew. And, of course, all our Texans All Access programs. Thanks for listening, and go Texans.